you're crying, you can just blame it on sweat. <laughs> Sweating. <laughs> Sweating from your eyes because it's so warm. You know, Gene uh, Arlene leaving has kind of made me a little sentimental this morning. So I just want to say what a blessing it is to be your pastor. It's truly a blessing to be here with you guys as your family. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely not. But before I start crying, when I was in fifth grade, just transition hard here. When I was in fifth grade, I didn't read much, and that might surprise you. I have learned to grow to tolerate reading. Reading is very important. Some people really love it. Ellie, I admire you. I really do. I wish I could read nearly as much as you did. And part of my middle school education was mandatory library time, okay? So occasionally, I think it was probably like once a week or something, we would go to the library for like 30 minutes or an hour, and you'd have to like go through the process of like checking out a book and like learn the Dewey Decimal System and like all that, and you'd have to like sit and read and like log what book you read. So because I wasn't a big fan of reading, there were only four different kinds of books that I read. Well, one of them specifically, which is right here. Myth, the literal copy from my middle school, Myths and Legends of the Greeks. There's a reason I really love this book. It's because every other page or so is illustrated. <laughs> and it's really cool. Big illustrations. It was an easy read. Um, I wasn't like over-fanatic with Greek mythology, but it was interesting to me. So this is one of the books I read. And when we built a new high school, they were giving away some of the old books from the old middle school. And you can bet... I walked back and I found this because I've read, I've read through this book like 20 times, which is the most I've read through any book in my entire life. I haven't read it in a few years, but it's sitting right there on my office shelf, still with the Dewey Decimal System card here and says, uh, purchased by Northwestern's Mother Club for Northwestern Elementary School, stamped right in here with the coffee stains at the bottom. Part of my history. One of the other books, the second book I would often read is the Guinness World Records. Once again, a lot of pictures and short facts. I can do that. Don't give me paragraphs. Uh, I also frequented the I Spy section. Once again, <laughs> not much reading, a lot more eyes. Um, we're spying. Um, and then the last section of books that I was extremely drawn to were the books about magic tricks and optical illusions. And there was like a small section of like 10 or 15 books in our library at middle school about that. So every single week I would go over there and I would check out one of those books. That's where I learned that if you hold a paper towel tube up to your eye and put your other hand covering it and you put your hand, it looks like there's a hole through your hand, which is pretty cool. I remember showing everybody in like fourth grade about that. It was the highlight of my week, I'm sure. So today, it might not come to surprise you, I'm just as weird or weirder than I was when I was in elementary school and middle school, so I'm still fascinated by the visibly interesting. And I wanted to share my interest with you this morning, so I got some optical illusions and interesting photos here for you. The first one, can you guys tell what this is, right? 
You can probably see a few faces right away, right? Hidden in the trunk and branches of the tree. But I'm going to give you guys a second. I want to see how many you can find. All right, who thinks they know? Raise your, raise your hand if you want to give an answer. Ten. John got it right. There's ten. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And where is that ten? Oh, right there. Yep. Ten faces all together. So this is, a, the one, this is called the molar liar illusion. Which line is longer, the top or the bottom? Okay, okay. You guys know I'm trying to trick you here. But it appears as if the bottom line is longer, right? That's best because of how the arrows are facing. It's just crazy that our brain's like, oh yeah, that one's definitely longer, even though they are literally the exact same length. This one gives me a headache, so I apologize ahead of time. When I, if you look at one white dot, your peripheral vision, the other white dots become black. And to me, this just gives me a headache, so I can't even look at it right now. But it like, looks like they're like strobing. But when you look right at one of the white lines or one of the white dots, it's just white. There's no black in those spots. It's because your eye, your brain's trying to put in information where it thinks it needs to be because of the contrasting difference in color. Like I said, I don't really like this one that much. But it is pretty interesting. Speaking of colors, let's see if this one works for you guys. So on the left, there's this lady, a negative photo of this lady. And you see these three colored dots. It might not work from how far away you are. But I just want you to stare at those colored dots for like 20 seconds. You just stare at those dots, and when I tell you to look away, don't try not to blink. When I tell you to look, look at the black cross on the white right on the white side and start blinking. Don't look over there yet. Just keep looking at the colored dots. Keep looking at the colored dots. All right, go ahead and look at the X and blink. You should see a full color image of the lady. Isn't that crazy that your brain can decipher the negative and create a full color image? It's pretty cool. All right, so here's another one. Another one based on color. So, <laughs> yeah, you're right, Jillian. They are the same color. However, A looks darker than B, right? That's what your brain tells you. That A is a darker square than B. But in reality, they are the exact same color. It's just contrast. The next one is called Shepherd's Table. This one, is, I believe it, but I don't believe it, okay? So the table on the left looks skinny and long. The table on the right looks short and wide, correct? However, if you rotate the table on the right and you put parallel lines, they are literally the exact same size tabletop. They have the exact same dimensions. Even though this one looks like it's totally not the same shape as that tabletop, right? Like, those are not the same tabletop. Literally the exact same shape. Okay, this last one is called the subway tile illusion. You may have seen this one before. Those lines look really crooked, right? right? Yes. But if you squint, I want you to squint until you can almost lose all definition and it just becomes a little fuzzy, then the lines look parallel. That's because they really are. But your eye, when you see all the details, it's, it's these white and black 
squares right here that really make your eyes like whoop and like try to manipulate everything. And your brain tells you those lines are not parallel, but they really are. If you just squint and look up there and barely see, you can definitely tell that they're parallel. So there's no way I'm the only one that finds this interesting, right? Right. These are kind of interesting things. Okay. Okay. So when I was in middle school, I think Josiah had a good reason to be interested in this kind of thing because I, I still find it extremely interesting. But the thing that gets me about these images is that when we try to perceive them by ourselves without any inside help, we misinterpret them. We see them incorrectly. And it isn't until someone explains to us what is going on that our perspective changes. And the reality of this world is a lot like that, I think. We have our own bias. We have our own opinions. We have our own ways of looking at things. And we look at the world and we think we know what's really going on. And we look at the world and we think we've got things figured out. We have our own thoughts of what is correct and what is wrong. But in reality, we can only see the things that we've been trained to see. We've been trained to see them by our culture and by our exposure and our own experience. And that's not wrong because what we see is usually a lot of really good information. And it helps us survive and help us navigate social situations and what's going on. But there are times where our perspective, our knowledge, falls short. And as Christians, we are given a new perspective. We are given a new way to see things. And there are many ways in which God sees things differently than us. And we can't cover them all today. But that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at how God sees differently than we do. How his perspective is different. And we're going to be starting a new series, a three-week series, today on the book of Ezekiel. We're going to be doing lessons from Ezekiel. I know that sounds super boring. But it's not, because it's actually super interesting. The book of Ezekiel gives us a lot of really good insights into who God is and how we should live. And Ezekiel just has some crazy interesting stories in it anyway. For example, the story from Ezekiel chapter 8, which is where our main passage is going to be from today. Let me give you just a little background information on Ezekiel. So Ezekiel was a prophet of God. You guys probably guessed that much. And he was alive during the Babylonian exile. And that's the time where the Babylonians, this major empire, they came and they took over the land of Judah and they brought a lot of the people from that land to their own land and kept them in captivity. They took them away. And Ezekiel was one of the young men who was taken from Judah to Babylon during that exile. And Ezekiel was used by God to speak to the Israelites who were in exile, to tell them the things that God wanted them to hear. And Ezekiel also had a lot of visions. God spoke to him, but he also gave him visions. And that's what Ezekiel 8 is. It's one of the visions that Ezekiel had. So we're going to go ahead and read Ezekiel chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1. Now let's see what's going on here. It came about in the sixth year, on the fifth day of the sixth month, And I was sitting in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me. And the hand of the Lord God fell on me there. Then I looked and behold a likeness. This is when the vision starts. 
The lightness has the appearance of a man. From his loins and downward, there is the appearance of fire. And from his loins and upward, the appearance of brightness, like the appearance of glowing metal. He stretched out the form of a hand and caught me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance, and brought me into the vision, or to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the idol of jealousy, which provokes a jealousy, was located. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the appearance which I saw in the plain. So what have we seen up to this point? We know that there's a man-like figure who, I mean, it just says it, grabbed him by the hair, just like, whoop, whipped him up, and took him in a vision all the way to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, when he gets to Jerusalem, he's in the temple area, and he sees the glory of God. He sees God's presence. And the super interesting thing is that it says, in the visions of God. Ezekiel is seeing things the way that God is seeing them. This Hebrew word for visions of God means to see something as like looking through a looking glass or looking at something in a mirror. So it's not super clear, but it is very similar to the real thing. So I'm not saying Ezekiel was seeing exactly what God was seeing, but he was seeing things in a way, in a much more godly way than he normally would. And this sets us up for the rest of what happens in the vision. Let's go ahead and keep reading in verse 5. Then he said to me, Son of man, raise your eyes now toward the north. So I raised my eyes toward the north, and behold, to the north gate of the altar gate was this idol of jealousy at the entrance. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing, the great abominations which the house of Israel are committing here? So I would be far from my sanctuary. But yet you will see still greater abominations. You see how the word see keeps coming up? God is showing Ezekiel things. And then he said to me, or then he brought me to the entrance of the court. And when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Verse 8, he said to me, son of man, now dig through the wall. So I dug through the wall and behold, an entrance. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations that they are committing here. So I entered and looked and behold, every form of creeping things and beasts and detestable things with all the idols of the house of Israel were carved on the wall around. Standing in front of them were 70 elders of the house of Israel and Jazaniah, the son of Zaphon, standing among them, each man with his censer in his hand and the fragrance of the cloud of incense rising. Then he said to me, son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark? Each man in the room of his carved images. For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, yet you will, still, you will see still greater abominations which they are committing. So what did we just read? First of all, Ezekiel is being shown things that no other person can see, right? He's being led to see things that are hidden in the darkness. And that are hidden behind walls. People can't see in the dark, and people can't see behind walls. That's just the reality of physical objects. 
right? We, we can't see what's happening in the dark. We can't see what's happening behind the walls. But somehow, Ezekiel is being led to these places and being shown these things. And the only way that's possible is if God already knows that they're happening. Is if God can see them happening. So what we see is that God can look through the walls. He can look into the dark places. He can look into the inner rooms and see what is happening there. So what we're seeing in this chapter is that God sees things from a different perspective than we do. He can see things that we can't see. He can see through the walls. He can see through the dark places. He can see our secrets. He sees us always. Intellectually, as Christians, we hear that God is omnipresent, right? That means just everywhere at once. And we we know that he's everywhere because we've been told that as Christians all along, that God is everywhere. He knows everything. But what we see here in the vision with Ezekiel gives it an important reality. And it humbles us because he sees all the nasty things. He sees into our lives. He sees into our darkness and through our walls to what is actually going on. Just let that sink in for a moment. We are accountable for all of our actions because God sees all of our actions. Furthermore, God doesn't just see what we do. He knows what we think. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 11 with me. And and I know it's amazing to think, but chapters 8 through 11 are actually all one very long vision. Ezekiel has this really long vision where he's, he's seeing Israel's sin, and it's just laid bare, and it's ugly. But in that, we see God's power, and we see his abilities. Ezekiel 11.5 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord fell on me, and he said to me, Say, Thus says the Lord. So you think, house of Israel, for I know your thoughts. I know your thoughts. God just said, I know your thoughts. I think this is why in the New Testament we're commanded to take every thought captive to Christ. Ezekiel's vision shows us that God sees it all. He doesn't just see it all, but he knows what's inside of us. Inside of our minds, inside of our hearts. He sees our good deeds and he sees our sins. And every evil thought of hatred and lust are known to God. And this is where my heart literally broke when I was reading through Ezekiel. Because every time we sin, we are causing God pain. Look, look at this. Maybe you've, you've heard sin talked about this way before. Maybe you haven't. But I think it's really important for us to realize. Ezekiel 6, 9 says... How I have been hurt, this is God speaking, how I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts, which turned away from me, and by their eyes which committed infidelity with their idols. The word hurt in this verse is a very, very strong word. It means to be crushed or broken. It's not talking about like a little scratch, like a surface level scratch. It's talking about like a gut punch. 
like bone-breaking kind of pain. And every time we sin, which we now clearly see God knows about every time, every time we sin, it crushes him. He sees what we're doing, and it hurts him every time we sin. And this is when I was reading through Ezekiel. I just literally started crying as I was reading this. Because immediately my mind went to my relationship with Amber. I said, what if I had an affair right in front of Amber's eyes? Not just once, but every single day. How would that make her feel? It would crush her. To the deepest extent that something can hurt. And that's what we're doing every single day when we sin. Because God sees it. And I couldn't just help feeling differently about my sin. And I knew that it was wrong my entire life. I knew that sin was something that God hated. But I never really had an emotional tie to it before. Until I was reading through this and I was like, wow, God sees everything. He knows our hearts. He sees through our walls and into the darkness and it hurts him. So now that we can see the world through God's perspective, we can see our lives through God's eyes, I think that should change how we see ourselves. I think that should change how we live, right? Here's a couple of ways that I think it should change how we think. Number one, you become more aware of your thoughts and actions, right? Oftentimes we just go through life and the first thing that pops in our heads, we do. Unaccountable, unthoughtful, they just happen. But we need to hold ourselves accountable to those thoughts and actions because God is holding us accountable to those thoughts and actions. And there have been times when I've sinned without thinking about it, like I didn't intend to do it, but I know for a fact There have been times where I knew I was about to do something. I stopped, I thought about it, and decided to do it anyway because I wanted to do it. And that's just like looking God straight in the eyes and saying, I know this is going to hurt you, but I'm doing it anyway. And when you realize that, when you really get that through your head, that God knows your thoughts and what you're doing all the time, it should make you pause. It should make you rethink what you're doing. It should wake you up to what your sin actually is. And that's number two. That it makes you take your sin seriously. And in church, don't get me wrong, this is not a bad thing, but in church, we hear a lot about how our sin is covered, right? We hear a lot about grace and God's mercy and his love and his forgiveness and how he forgives sin and iniquity And all of that is true. It is totally true. 100% true. God is amazing. He shows mercy in ways that we cannot even comprehend. But because we've been covered by grace and Jesus' sacrificial blood does not mean we have a license to take our sin casually. It doesn't mean that we can just sin whenever we want without any thought. We have to take it seriously because it hurts God. It's against what he wants for us. It's breaking the relationship with him. And when we knowingly sin, like I said, we're just looking God right in the face. We're saying, I don't care what you think. I don't care if this hurts you, I'm going to do it anyway. 
And I could not imagine doing that to Amber. I could not imagine doing that to my parents or my friends or anybody else in my family. So why do we do it to God? Our sin does not only affect us. And the last thing, as I was was thinking through the sermon, the last thing that really came to my mind is, wow, yeah, God does have a different perspective, and it can change mine. Your perspective, your mind can be changed by who God is and how he sees things. And sometimes, correction, almost all the time, there are things in our lives that are out of our control, right? And they are beyond our power and our knowledge. Situations come up literally every single day when I think to myself, I have no idea what to do. I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. And when we come to those situations, we need to realize that God sees it differently than we do. That he knows it all. He can direct us when we need his help. That's why James 1.5 says, If you lack any wisdom, you should ask of God, and he will give it to you generously. He's going to give it to you if you seek him. And God's different perspective isn't something that's hidden to us. Right? It's not like God says, oh, I see things differently than you. Good luck figuring it out. He wrote us a manual. That's a really long manual. And it takes a while to read through it and to understand it. But it's essential that we do and study it. Because through the study of scripture and prayer, we come to see the things of this world the way that God sees them. I'm not talking just about sin. I'm talking about people and relationships and how you talk how you deal with conflict, and how you love. It changes everything that we do because God's perspective is different than ours. Don't we serve an awesome God? Yeah, we do. And because God sees everything differently, we can rest in the assurance that he has us covered. Right? I think that's something that we just need to realize. That because God is all-powerful and all-knowing means that we can walk in faith into situations that don't make sense to us. It means that we can be assured of hope in times that seem hopeless. It means that we can spread joy when the world is filled with grief. And as anything, a different perspective changes a lot, right? It changes a lot. And we need to be people of a new mind. People that see the world the way that God sees it. A people that take sin seriously. A people that love generously. And a people that share God with others. God has a different perspective. Will you let him change yours? Let's pray. God, I just ask that you come into our lives and change our hearts and our minds so that we can come into alignment with your heart and your mind. So that we can see the things that are happening around us the way that you see them. Convict our hearts and our minds when we are in the wrong or when we're walking away from you to turn around and come back to you. We need that miracle in our lives, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.